Your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. So I'm told, um, I was told this morning that, man, sometimes on Sunday morning, just about every single seat uh, in this auditorium can be taken up. That doesn't seem to be the case this morning. Uh, obviously, news of my coming in town was, has been spread. Um, no, I'm, I'm thankful that y'all are here uh, this morning. Um, I take it as most people do during the summer. There's a lot of people traveling. May God be with them as they travel. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, four consecutive stories in, in Mark chapter 4. But before we get there, uh, in Mark 1, right from the beginning, Mark's gospel actually kind of uh, opens up pretty abruptly. He says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right at the start, Mark wants you to know that he is introducing to you the gospel, or as it literally means, the good news. And not just any good news, because there is other people who use the word gospel to talk about Caesar, to talk about other good news that there could possibly be. No, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Of God. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, the good news of God. You've got to turn it on in order for you all to hear me, right? Um, he starts preaching the good news of God. The first words of Jesus, the messenger of that good news, right after that, he says, The time is fulfilled. Which is interesting. So the gospel, this good news is being spread and Jesus says the time is fulfilled. I believe a reference to Isaiah. Isaiah made uh, several proclamations of this good news saying that th this good news is coming. There's going to be this proclamation of this good news. So Jesus pretty much says, hey, you know that good news you've heard so much about? You know that good news that you've been anticipating? It's here. The good news is here. Jesus then calls on his listeners to repent and believe. And then he proceeds to teach in Capernaum around the Sea of Galilee. People are amazed at his teaching because he taught with authority. That was different than the other teachers of, that, uh, uh, of where they were. They taught with authority. That he taught with authority. And then to prove that authority, he started performing these miracles. And by the end of Mark chapter 1 and verse 45, everyone is coming to Jesus. They're surrounding Jesus to the point where he couldn't even go out into public because there were so many people. It seems as though Mark is trying to, to pose this argument to show you just how great Jesus is, almost begging the question, man, who wouldn't believe in Jesus? I mean, this is the good news, the good news that was prophesied about. He's teaching with authority. Unlike anybody else, he's performing all these miracles. Who wouldn't believe in Jesus? That's an important question to ask. Why, why don't people believe in Jesus? Well, Mark's account of the gospel offers a, a few reasons as to why that, that's the case. Mark reveals uh, some of the reasons. Uh, for some, it was just pride. Pride got in the way of their wanting to, to follow Jesus. For some, it was this refusal to let go of uh, their own presuppositions, their own idea as to what the Messiah was going to look like, their own idea as to what it meant to live as a human, their, their own idea of, of what happiness really was. Has that ever happened today? For some, it was just the pleasures of the world. A man even came up to Jesus asking, hey, how do I get eternal life? And he walks away sorrowfully because he was unable to give up those pleasures of the world. But for some, 
For some, it's just fear. For many, I would argue, it's fear. Now, you may already be aware of this, uh, but the most repeated phrase in all of the Bible, or at least some variation of it, is, do not fear. Some people even say it's, it appears 365 times in the Bible to represent all days of the year. I, I don't know if that's the case. But it, re, it is the most repeated phrase throughout the Bible. Why is that the case? Why within the 40 plus writers of the scripture that we have, do they constantly repeat this phrase, do not fear? Well, for starters, Jesus makes the connection of fear and belief. That fear can often get in the way of belief. And we're going to talk about that a good bit uh, this morning. But another reason, perhaps the most obvious reason as to why do not be afraid, do not fear is repeated throughout the scriptures is because there is just so much in this life to fear. Every single one of us struggles with fear in, in, in some respect. Actually, it varies from person to person as to what it is we do fear. There are so many different things in life for us to fear. Many of us fear getting sick. That's a genuine fear. My mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer not too long ago. Praise be to God that she has now been cured of that, but those are some scary times. And sometimes we do all these things to help prevent us from, from getting sick, and that's fine. Uh, I, I think maybe even more than the fear of sickness for ourselves is the fear of sickness of our, our, of our loved ones. And we, we go to great lengths to make sure that they're taken care of. Uh, it was said in the prayer before Bible class this morning that there's several people here who are taking care of their parents to make sure that they are good, to make sure that they are taken care of because we fear of what might happen to them. We fear harm. Uh, Harm to ourselves, harm to our stuff. That's why we have insurance to protect just about everything in our lives. And maybe the combination of those two, fear of sickness, fear of harm, we fear death. And there's a lot of things that we fear within death. But I think maybe the strongest thing about death that we fear is, is, is the unknown that comes with it. For some, they fear of what happens to themselves after they die. I hope that's not the case for us here. But for others... We, you fear of if your loved one is to die, what, what do we do now? What happens next after that? And there's this great fear that cripples us in that. For, for some, it's just the fear of being alone, of being unloved, of being underappreciated, the fear of losing a job, the fear of being in some financial crisis, and sometimes that fear can cause us to make decisions that maybe we wouldn't ordinarily make. Fear is often... something that drives our decision making, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. Fear is an emotion that I believe God has given us for a a good purpose. Uh, One of those purposes is just to to stay safe, that we have just built within us uh, this this, this, uh, self-protection mode that we're we're, we're not going to touch the stove because we have that, that fear keeping us from doing that, right? But I think another aspect of why we are to fear is because that fear should push us closer to God. But like many emotions, we sometimes give it way too much power. And we allow it to drive us, and we allow it to motivate us, and we allow it to limit us, and we allow it to limit what God can do in us. This morning, I would like to look at four consecutive stories in the, in the book of Mark. Uh, beginning at the end of Mark chapter 4, if you're not already there, go ahead and turn there. In each story, fear plays a major role. Some leading to belief, some not. 
But my hope is that this morning that we will recognize some important things about ourselves. We'll try to internalize these stories and and point it back to ourselves. And we'll be led to a a deeper trust in Jesus. Let's go ahead and look at uh, verse 35 in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. It says, On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd. And they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus is with his disciples in Mark chapter 4, and the tempest is raging, as we, as we sing about it. If you didn't know what a tempest was, it's referring to these waves crashing in on this boat. And they're terrified. So what is it that they fear? They are clearly in fear of their own lives. They are going to die on this boat. And Jesus, who is said to be at the stern of the boat, which is where the captain would be located, is sleeping. So as the boat fills up with water, the disciples look at their captain asleep at the wheel, if you will. And they start saying, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you going to do anything to try and help us get to the other side? We're on this boat because of you in the first place. Why aren't you helping us? And what question does their fear actually lead them to ask? What does it say there? Do you not care? Their fear causes them to ask the question, do you not care? One thing we must recognize about fear is that it can sometimes lead us to question God's love and compassion for us. Let's look at this story a little bit more closely. Did Jesus lack compassion for the disciples? I mean, after all, they are about to drown in this boat, and Jesus is calling them out for having a lack of faith. Y'all ever been in a situation like that on a boat? Um, is he actually being, is he lacking compassion in this? Well, let's back up the story a little bit. What was Jesus doing before they got on this boat? Well, he had just spent the entire day with the crowds of people teaching and answering questions, and then hoping not to waste any time, he waited till the end of the day to hop in the boat, go to the other side of the sea, and do the exact same thing again. And then if we back it up even further than that, what was Jesus doing? He's healing every single person coming his way, taking up all of his time and his energy to help these people. Jesus' compassion had been on display since the first day of his ministry, and yet... Even though they had, they'd seen all those things. It's their fear that led them to doubt Jesus' compassion. Does Jesus have compassion in your life? Does He have compassion in our lives? Well, ask yourself, when Jesus spoke parables and these things were being recorded, were they not being recorded for us as well? When He's unveiling the kingdom of God and telling us more about these things, were they not preserved For us? And it's always struck me in John chapter 17, what is Jesus doing? The night before he's betrayed, he is with his disciples trying to prepare them. But even in that prayer in John chapter 17, when he is praying specifically for the disciples, he says to them, or he says to God, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, 
but for those also who believe in me through their word. It is a humbling thing to think that God, uh, Jesus on the night before he was betrayed was praying for us. He had us in mind. Is Jesus lacking in compassion in that? Did he not give himself over to lawless hands to be crucified on a cross? Did he not conquer death for you? Of course Jesus has compassion. Of course Jesus cares that you're perishing. That's the entire reason why he came, was to save us from that. Not necessarily to take every single difficulty in our lives away, but that which is true, perishing, he is going to save us from that. Do you believe that? Many people have been led astray by their fear, arriving at the conclusion that if God does exist, He's certainly not a loving God. He's certainly not a good God. Look at all these things that we see. However, I pray that if that thought crosses your mind, to look as quickly as you can to the cross. Take a look at the cross, and I hope you arrive at a different conclusion. Now, that isn't to diminish the severity of your situation, of how difficult your fear might be. However, I encourage you to look around. Count your blessings. See what God has done for you. Consider the great things that, uh, that the Lord has done for you and consider the compassion of God. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 5 now. In the next story... There's this demon-possessed man, and the text says that this demon-possessed man was in chains, but he broke out of them. He's screaming day and night. He's cutting himself with stones, and Jesus comes along, and he's able to heal him. He casts the, the many unclean spirits out into some pigs, and those pigs start running off a cliff. And then that brings us to verse 14. I want to pick up in verse 14. Look with me in Mark 5 and verse 14. It says there, herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. Verse 16, those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. What are they afraid of in this passage? I ask that genuinely. I, it says in verse 15 that they became afraid. After they had heard this report and after they had seen the demon-possessed man now in his right mind, they became afraid. What do they fear? Well, clearly they were afraid of the demon-possessed man before, right? That's evidenced by the fact that they tried to keep him in chains. Evidenced by the fact that it says that no one was strong enough to subdue him. And so they were fearful of him. They, they put him far away from them. But now, a man has come. Jesus, who has the power over the one who could not be bound. Power of the one who could not be subdued. So I do think there's an element of the, that, that they are afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of the power of Jesus. However, I do think it's a little bit more than that. Uh, perhaps they do fear for their lives because of Jesus, but it's not like Jesus had posed a physical threat to them necessarily. I mean, actually, he had just done a pretty great thing uh, for them. Here's this man that's terrifying them, and now he's no longer in that state of mind. So it seems like he's actually used his power for something good. 
But I think it seems they more fear the unknown of what Jesus presents. That this display of power that Jesus has just shown to them, they don't really know what to make of it. They don't really know what to do about this. Not knowing what the future entails with Jesus around. And I think their fear could have something to do with the amount of money that had just gone running off a cliff, right? I mean, they are herdsmen. This is their job to take care of these swine. And now this big band of, of, of Jewish people came by throwing out all these unclean animals. I, I think they're a little afraid of, what, of what's just happened. And it says in verse 17, they began to implore him to leave. Just get out. We don't know what you're going to do. We see that you are powerful, but we want you out of here. It would seem to me they feared what they might lose, or at least feared what they could not see if Jesus stuck around. And one thing we must recognize is that sometimes our fear causes us to do exactly what they did, which is to just push Jesus further away. Whatever that fear might be, we can sometimes be tempted to distance ourselves from Jesus entirely. We sometimes do this because we do fear what we might lose if we start following Jesus, or if we continue that path in following Jesus. We could lose money if we, if we truly obey God's Word in the way that we're supposed to. We could lose relationships. We could lose habits we really like doing. You name it, there's a lot of things that we might lose if... We start following Him. And that fear of change is a very real thing. We all fear change to some degree. Every four years we fear change uh, of, of what might happen. Fear of change is a real thing. But may our fear never keep us from drawing near to Jesus. Now, even though this isn't exactly what's happening in Mark chapter 5, I do want to take this opportunity to point out just how crippling fear can be. And in an audience this large, I feel pretty convinced that I'm speaking to some people who are, who are in fear right now of something. There's something going on in your life that is causing you a great deal of fear. I don't know what that is. You do. God does. And one thing we must recognize about this fear is just how crippling it can be. It can lead to depression that can bring us to a pretty dark place. And it can cause us to distance ourselves from people. I would imagine some people can, can speak from experience in that. And I'll have more to say from the Psalms uh, later in the lesson. But one thing we see throughout the Psalms is that in their pain and in their despair, what do they do? They bring their cares to God. They ask all those why questions. They ask all those how long questions. But they ask God those questions. They draw near to Him. So, go to God in prayer if you are suffering. Go to God in prayer if you are fearful. Believe in the power of prayer. It is the way that we should draw near to Him. Go to His Word. Read the Bible. Start seeing all these different pictures of people who are in fear and see how they drew near to God. Look at the love and the care that God has provided. Go to godly men and women. Do not distance yourselves from them. Explain your cares and your fears to godly people who will then bring you to God. Do not distance yourself from the Lord. I want to look at the next story, uh, Mark 5 and verse 21. As you can see there, uh, in, in this story, it kind of gets cut in half uh, a little bit. Like right in the middle of this story, we get us another story. We'll look at that in, in, a, in a minute. But let's go ahead and pick up in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. 
When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him fell at his feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her, so that she will get well and live. And then skipping down to verse 35. And while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. If this were me, if I were, if I were Jairus in this situation, and maybe you can relate, my fear would be mixed with anger. Because out of my fear, my daughter's sick. I, I came to you, Jesus. I came to you to help me. And in your compassion, you decided to come help. But along the way, you just decided to stop. Sure, you stopped to help this woman, but could that not have been delayed? I mean, she'd been sick for 12 years. Why couldn't that be done after the fact? And yet, in your delay, now, now my daughter is dead. Jairus feels or fears the death of a loved one, the death of his daughter. I'd be upset. And what I see in the story of Jairus is two levels of fear. One is bad, and two is worse. Going from bad to worse. He goes to Jesus initially out of fear. Uh, his, his daughter is still alive, but she's really sick, and he fears that she might die. And so he goes to Jesus. And what a great example, right? Whenever our loved ones are sick or when we are sick, we pray to God, those of us with faith. We pray to God or we start bringing it to other people and say, hey, could you please pray on my behalf? And that's a good thing. But what do we do when things get worse? What do we do when things don't get answered the way that we think they should be? Because I think that's the case for Jairus. Well, it's clear that Jairus did not feel the same way I feel as though I would. But it is clear that he believed the report that his daughter was dead. Seems clear that he is ready to weep with those who are already doing so. But when things got worse for Jairus, he faces his fear with faith. He goes and he follows Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And the story goes, Jesus raises her from the dead, and Jairus is up there with them. Follow Jesus in your fear. Now let's look at that last story there, beginning in verse 24, the one that's right in the middle of the story of Jairus and his daughter, beginning in verse 24. It says, And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. The woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I touch garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. 
But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The woman here pretty clearly uh, fears her, her sickness. Uh, she had shown that in the last 12 years in the fact that she had used all of her money, spent all of her money on different physicians to try and make things better, and yet it had only gotten worse, but now she comes to Jesus. She touches his garment and she's healed, and then Jesus stops and asks, well, who touched me? And I love the disciples' response. And they well, what do you mean who touched you? But I imagine it's at this point that the, woman's new, that, that, the woman had, that the woman had a new fear in her life, which was the person who now had all the attention of this large crowd has now shifted her attention or shifted his attention to her. And now he's got all, or she's got all the eyes on her. But what does she do? It says in verse 33 that the woman was fearing and trembling. Fearing and trembling. What does she do? In that fear, does she distance herself from Jesus? Does she run? No, she falls at his feet and tells him the whole truth. She recognizes the great things that Jesus had done. And out of her fear, she falls down before Jesus. And I want to talk about this word. She trembles before him. What does that mean? To tremble before the Lord. Well, earlier in Mark chapter 4, you probably noticed that I didn't finish the chapter, right? <clears throat> Take a look at that. At the end of Mark chapter 4, after Jesus calms the storm and he calls them out for the lack of faith, verse 40, 41 says that after Jesus had done these things, they fear even more. Look at that. They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And the title of this lesson is what Jesus says to, to Jairus, Do not fear, only believe. On the surface, I think a, a statement like that implies that, that faith replaces fear. Or that there is no place for fear in, in faith. I just, there might be some truth in that, but I, just, I don't think that that's what the Scriptures teach. Because it's after Jesus calms the storm. It's after Jesus' display of power that the disciples fear even more. And how is that? Well, I think it's that no longer do they fear the winds and the waves, but they fear the one who has control over them. And what about the woman in Mark 5 who is healed of her disease? She's healed, and then it says she has fear. She's just been healed. What more is there to fear? Well, she fears and trembles because she now has the attention of the one who could heal what no one else could. In all of these stories, Jesus has shown such great display of power. In word, he calms the storm. In word, he casts out these legions of demons. In word, he raises a girl from the dead. With just the touch of a garment, he's able to heal a woman who had been sick for 12 years. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe we should all be fearful of the one who has such great power. In one sense, fearing God is having this proper awe and respect 
for God. I believe that is true. But I think we need to look at Matthew 10 and verse 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. When he says, do not fear those who kill the body, does he then say, now you have nothing to fear at all? No, he says, rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul. It's simply turning our fear of the world, that which destroys the body, to trembling before God. He can destroy body and soul. There's a, there's a pretty famous quote uh, from the the children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that. The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, where, where, where the kids find out that Aslan uh, is not a man, but a lion. And they're scared by this. And Lucy and Susan, they both ask, well, is he safe? I think y'all know what comes next. Which the beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king. Of course we can find refuge in the love of Christ and the power of God because he is good, because he is our king. However, we find that refuge trembling before him as the one who has power over all that which causes fear in our lives. I want to end this morning by looking at Psalm 107. I'll have it on the screen, but feel free to turn there too. Psalm 107. It is a lengthier psalm. However, it pretty well sums up how we ought to come to God in our fears and the different fears that we may have. Looking at verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and the south. And I love what he does here, because then the psalmist starts to tell four different stories, four different ways that fear is caused, and four different ways that people come to the Lord. From the east, from the west, from the north, in the south. Let's look at the first one, beginning in verse 4. It says, They wandered in the wilderness, in a desert region. They did not find a way to the inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. For He has satisfied the thirsty soul. In the hungry soul He is filled with what is good. In the second story in verse 10. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor, and they stumbled, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness 
and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. The third story. Fools, because of their rebellious ways and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His works with joyful singing. And then in the final story, In this final story, it should, it should remind you of what we have read in Mark chapter 4. Verse 23, Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. And so He guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol Him also in the congregation of the people and praise Him at the seat of the elders. In all of these stories, you see different people who are suffering in these different ways, in these situations of fear, and yet every single one of them, what are those repeated phrases? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distresses. So let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness. He ends Psalm 107 in verse 43. And I'd like us to consider this as we close. As we think about the stories that we read in Psalm 107, as we think about the stories that surround Mark chapter 4 and 5, ask yourself, who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord. Though there are many things in this life to fear, let us all consider the loving kindness of the Lord. Do not allow your fears lead you to question in God's compassion. Do not allow your fear to push God further away and to push godly people away. Rather, draw near to Him in prayer. Surround yourself with godly people who can comfort you. In your fear, follow Jesus. And tremble before Him, yet knowing that He is good. If you have not chosen to follow Jesus in your fear, to whom shall you go? There is only one who can put that fear away. And there is only one in whom we have eternal salvation. It is my prayer and the prayer of many here that you would submit to Him. And even in your fear that you would put that aside and you would come to Him. You would be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you would submit your life to Him. If you have any need of this invitation, please come up now while we stand and while we sing.